All right, guys, what's up? Uh, getting all juiced up today. Woke up this morning and had some coffee, did my reading, and started listening to a podcast with Greg Glassman on, uh, I think it's called the Girls Gone Wad podcast. And you'll start to see this circulated a little bit more because he dives into some of the games and the game's decisions. He dives into the future of CrossFit and the future of, you know, really the fitness industry. CrossFit has become, you know, the leading source of you know high quality fitness and all of the the franchises and the knockoffs and all this stuff really if you think about it they're following the leadership model provided by CrossFit now some of them inherently will you know look on the surface they're doing certain things better they're doing marketing better they're doing you know a dollar per square foot per hour better and you know those are the orange theories and the system of strengths and things like that um, you know started by marketers and <laughs> you know, mass produced. But really, when you think about it, the driver of, you know, group fitness and the driver of functional fitness and and all of these micro gyms that are kind of independently owned and operated really was started by CrossFit. And it kind of just got me got me going a little bit. And he talks at the end a little bit about, you know, why is it, you know, he was asked the question, you know, we're struggling with third world and, you know, impoverished kids and impoverished fitness. And, uh, you know, what is your plan to maybe start attacking some of these people who maybe can't afford a CrossFit gym? And his response was really surprising. And it's very different from the response that he gave, you know, five to seven years ago. Five to seven years ago, he was sort of obsessed with going to, you know, Africa and India and the Middle East and putting up gyms in schools and, you know, hybrids of both together, gyms and schools together, and trying to spread CrossFit to these places. But his response this time, really the way that I heard it was, we can't worry about getting impoverished in third world people to understand what we're doing when the most affluent people still don't do it. They still don't get it. They still don't understand. And a lot of times I think what we think about is, you know, what the affluent do, you know, Nike and, you know, what, what trendsetters in, you know, from rich athletes going on the way down, you look at it, it's true in fashion, it's true in sports, it's true in industry. Generally, they kind of set the tone and then things trickle down a little bit from there. And so what he said is we have people who drive the nicest cars, who have the nicest homes, who work the best jobs, you know, in the world, they make the highest wages, the highest salary, they live in the highest income neighborhoods, yet the fitness that they pay for and the fitness that they get is complete shit, right? They're still used to working out and doing, you know, lateral raises and eating rice cakes is I think the the variety that he gave or not working out at all or having some, you know, bullshit blow off membership to, you know, a planet fitness or an LA fitness and, you know, not really consistently doing anything. And in turn, what we have is horrible, horrible health spans in this society that is the most affluent society in, you know, in obviously, I think if you start to look at, you know, a Dublin or an Olentangy or a Hilliard or, um, you know, New Albany or any of these surrounding suburban areas, you would be hard pressed to say that we are not in the top you know, 1% of 1% of 1% living in the world with, you know, how nice everything that surrounds us is, yet 
there's still so many people struggling with health, with fitness, with mental health, with chronic disease. And you start to look at it and you're like, why? They have all the resources in the world. Why would they struggle with this? And so I really couldn't pay attention to the rest of the podcast because my mind just kind of kept going on this idea. Like it's a, it's a, it's sort of an obvious idea when you, you know, speak it into existence. You're like, yeah, it's true. It's the society that we're living in. This is the culture that we live in. And I have conversations with people every week about how they see themselves going one way and they see their friend group or their peer group or people that they used to hang out with going another. And the older you get, the more extreme these kind of two paths go right? You start to see that, you know, you can still go on vacations with your son and daughter and you can still go out and, you know, do active type things, but you can't necessarily convince these people that that lifestyle is better, no matter how much you say it, no matter how much you post on social media, how happy you are, how much you enjoy what you're doing, how much you enjoy how you feel, how clear your thoughts are, how much better this has made your professional life, your personal life, your relationships, your family. And yet, for some reason, people still don't put stock in it. And so I just sort of became obsessed a little bit with the why of this. And I'll talk a little bit on this with my Habit Change Seminar coming up here in a couple weeks, which I'm really excited for. And I've started to organize the presentation for. But really, it's kind of breaks down to what I'm going to call the ECC, which is really ease, comfort, inconvenience. And these are the three reasons that I think that the more affluent you are, the more resistant you are to seeking out or doing things that even like even though you know they're right. So we know they're right. We hear people around us being successful. We see the proof of it, right? You see people losing 80 pounds, 100 pounds, you see people who are, you know, depressed and sheepish come back and now they're, you know, full of life and smiles and laughter and they're engaging in relationships and communicating openly. You see this stuff every day. It happens in our facility every day. It happens in all the CrossFit gyms around us every day. And we are in this fight to try to almost like convince people that this is the way, right? Yes, it is not easy. No, it is not convenient. Okay. But that little bit of inconvenience in your life is probably the missing link for you. And so how can we expect people to have good habits or develop good habits or listen to us if they're just caught into these deep, dark pathways of taking the path of least resistance all the time? Right. It's so easy to sit on a couch and watch two football games for eight hours and drink a six pack of beer, roll over and go to sleep. It's so easy. Just like it's so easy for gyms to buy $150,000 worth of crappy equipment, throw it into a facility and say, hey, we're open 24 hours and it costs nine bucks. We're going to stick a minimum wage employee at the front desk and that's it. You get no guidance, you get no help, but you get access to this amazing equipment that I purchased and placed here and never moved for the last 25 or 30 years. Even though that same model is what has been the model of leading fitness facilities during the largest health decline in human history, people are still buying that. 
McDonald's and Coke and Budweiser and all of these different things. It's like, it's, these are the reasons. They are right there in front of your face. Sugar everywhere. Fast food everywhere. Planet Fitness. LA Fitness. It's like, all of these things are sitting there right in front of your face. So yeah, it's so easy to roll in there and grab a membership, get you signed up today. It's free, right? Your first month is free, whatever. All this other bullshit. It's the same thing. Yeah, let's grab a $1 hamburger. And I I get it. Like it's it's so easy and convenient. But the problem is is nobody's thinking critically about it. Like how busy does our society have to think or believe or convince themselves that they are that that becomes the the first sacrifice is your own health. So the bigger takeaway, guys, it has to be how do we communicate outwardly into society to actually start to make a meaningful change. And it's how CrossFit HQ actually brands themselves and discusses that's what was so exciting about that podcast is hearing how he is going to change glassman is going to change how he communicates about his own brand how he communicates what crossfit is what it can do and what it can be when he starts to pair with health professionals and he starts to really dial in exactly what it's going to be and exactly how it's going to make an impact that messaging is already changing affiliates messaging is already changing, right? We're not posting pictures of PRs anymore because it's not about driving yourself forward to this elite level performance every day. What's cooler than having a one rep max snatch at 270, but then quitting CrossFit two years later is being able to snatch 225 for 25 straight years, right? It's about longevity. It's performance longevity, When we start to get a better grasp on that and we start to understand really what we're doing, I think it will change the outward messaging to other people. But that's it. Like if we're posting on social media or you're talking to other people about what you do, you need to start thinking about how you communicate to those people. You know, everybody always jokes, oh, CrossFitters never shut up about CrossFit. Well, the problem with CrossFitters never shutting up about CrossFit is that they never shut up about the wrong stuff. They never shut up about the fact that they, you know, got five pull-ups or they got one pull-up or they ran a mile PR or they PR'd their 500 meter or they, they did X and Y and Z. They won a short-term finite game battle and they post about it and they talk about it. But what they don't talk about is the infinite game. What they don't talk about is the stuff that's actually really important. They don't outwardly communicate about how they feel more mentally clear. They've fixed their habits. They're really focused on health for the first time in their life and it feels amazing. They're sleeping great. Their resting heart rate's going down. They're not pre-diabetic anymore, right? And that's happening because the consistency and the accountability of the community and that the CrossFit gym and environment and coaching staff drives forward and discusses, that has guided you and showed you the way. And now you are implementing that. And that implemented consistently over time 
is what's going to make the difference for you and for your family and for the people around you. But I think one of the issues is, is people just always talk about the, the hardcore stuff, right? They talk about the stuff that doesn't really excite anybody. It turns them off, if anything, right? You talk about snatching or your overhead squat PR or all those things. And we're proud of you for that. And you're proud of you for accomplishing that task. But if we take a step back and we really look at what we're actually proud of, we're proud of the fact that the systems and the belief that we put in place led to progress, right? We took some time. We thought critically about things that were missing in our life, right? Health, wellness, strength, excitement, passion, whatever it might be. We found something. We took a leap of faith and we trusted in a gym and in a community and coaching staff and so on. And we listened to them and we implemented the system that they recommended, And once we did that, we found that we were happier and we were more successful in our health and fitness than we were ever before. That's what the discussion is. That's what's happening. And if you really think about it, that's what's exciting about it. Okay. If you walked in the gym tomorrow and didn't have to work for it at all and just magically threw up, you know, a hundred pound back squat PR and you didn't back squat at all and you didn't grind or work for it in any capacity, you'd just be like, oh, cool. Yeah, whatever. Because it's the hard work of the process. It's the fact that you actually improved your habits as a person that makes it a worthwhile endeavor. And I think that this is where, you know, affluent people or, you know, just American society generally, when, you know, we talk so much as coaches just about like, how can we help these people? How can we get this across to them? How can we communicate better on day one, day five, day 30, day 90? How can we communicate better to be able to get them to see that this is a five-year game or a 10-year game? This is something that takes real habit change. Habit change is a short-term change, right? Once you've established that habit change, then you have to dive into you know the, the tough decisions, the breaking out of that ease and convenience all the time. So I think that's my goal for you guys for this week, or that's kind of our homework is just to kind of sit and just think about the processes and the systems in your life that you've changed a little bit. Like take some time to really think about that. It's incredible. I was having a conversation just the other day and, you know, Glassman talks about having a muffin in the morning and just thinking about how I wake up and how automatic my breakfast is every day. I don't skip breakfast ever. I don't ever not have breakfast ready, the the right foods. It's always in the fridge. I never eat poorly for breakfast. I never eat out for breakfast. It's just like the systems that I have in place for breakfast are just, they're, they've been so dialed in now for years that it's just not even an issue. And when I think back over my life, it's incredible. I didn't, when I was 25, 26, when I was getting out, I was still eating cereal every morning. I was still eating frosted mini wheats. I had never really lift, lifted weights until I was 24 years old or 23 years old, ever. And like you look at it now and it's just stuff that you just take for granted, you know. I struggled the other day in the class workout. The the power cleans just felt super heavy. And even on a day that it was heavy, I was still able to power clean 265 at the end of the workout. And it's just like, and sometimes you just take that stuff for granted. But when you just take a step back, you're like, wow, like that's 
that's so incredible. I used to struggle to power clean 135, you know, forever for years. When I first got it, you know, put the big 45s on the side. I was so proud of myself. And I'm like, that wasn't even 10 years ago. And so when you start to really take a step back and just look at what you've built, not just your body and your capabilities and your performance, because obviously that's amazing. That's incredible. That's really cool. But that's always going to be something that's just kind of sitting there. It's a million finite games that will just kind of keep compounding. And the analogy that I heard yesterday that is so cool really stuck with me. And I hope that you guys, you know, can can see the coolness of this is, you know, at some point we will reach a peak where constantly looking to be 1% better every day is not realistic for us. And so, you know, the, the it's actually a true story, but a woman came into a CrossFit affiliate up in Cleveland and she was 84 years old and she was in a walker and she really was starting to struggle to get around. By the end of her first year in CrossFit, she got to the point where she could do five burpees in a minute which is an amazing task for somebody who truly could not get up off the ground at all and really struggled to be functional in any way. To be able to do five burpees in a minute is incredible, right? Well, two years goes by and now she's, I think, 88 or 89 years old and now she can only do three burpees inside of a minute, right? And so you look at that and you're like, wow, she's not getting better, It's like, yeah, but she's three years older and she wasn't even capable when she first came in and now she can still get herself off the ground. And then a few years later, she was 92 and she could only get to the point where she could do one burpee in a minute. And so obviously she wasn't moving her performance level up anymore, but her functional longevity, she probably sustained an extra six or seven years of a functional life because of what she was able to accomplish in that affiliate. And so if you guys get to the point where you start to feel like, you know what, like, and for me, this is exactly where I'm at, right? I used to push performance, performance, performance all the time, right? I will never lift as much weight as I have ever, not for the rest of my life. And I don't care to at all, right? But what I do care to be able to do is when I'm 45 or 55, I care to be able to lift some weight, have it not hurt my body and be functionally capable to do that at almost any time in almost any situation. And now that I've only been working out three or four days a week, I can tell you my body on the regular feels amazing. I PR'd my 500 meter row in like the weirdest, most odd day, the oddest situation you could ever imagine. It was so ass backwards. But the reason why I think I PR'd that is just because I've been coming in And just hitting the one hour a day as hard as I can and then recovering, taking the time to not beat my body into submission and into death and trying to focus a little bit more on my health span. So I go as hard as I can when I can and I don't when I don't. But I'm really obsessed with this idea of functional longevity and trying to make sure that the focus is more, you know, being proud of the small tasks that you have made habit. The stuff that is so not convenient, so tough, it's not easy, that nobody else is doing. Nobody, none of your friend group, none of your old friend group, none of your new friend group, nobody is doing these things. Nobody is, you know, taking the time to make an hour-long dinner when it's a lot easier to grab a pizza, right? Nobody's stopping at, you know, one beer when it used to be six or eight beers, right? These are the things it's like if you're just if these little decisions have become 
who you are now. That's your style. That's your life now. That's your habit. That is such an amazing victory. And that's things that I hope that people share more. And I had this discussion with a member the other day. And I want to get to the point where we as a society on social media seems to be the platform everybody wants to. But even just outwardly, I want to get to the point where our society has parties or celebrates outwardly people getting off prescription drugs, people getting out of debt or off student loan debt, people making a habit change that helps get them off of a prescription drug. That's the kind of stuff that should be posted on social media. But yet, people still feel the need to only share that with me behind closed doors like nobody cares. And it's just like, and I, I, I'm blown away by it. It's like, this is a monumental, a huge life moment. There might be nothing in your entire life that ever happens that's as amazing as this. You know, you're a father of five children and you started here and you were on five medications and now you're not on any. Now you're going to be able to be around for all five of those kids' weddings and grandkids and you're going to be able to be be able to play with them and be functional and have fun and smile and laugh and who knows what would have happened if you didn't do that, if you didn't take that leap, if you didn't change those habits, you might not have made even one of their high school graduations. But that's the kind of stuff that people still feel the need to hide and hold in secrecy and not discuss openly. And so when you guys are thinking about, you know, what you post, how you talk to people, have a discussion this week with somebody who maybe, you know, you feel like could use a little bit of, you know, health, fitness, community, whatever it is, right? Nutrition, anything along those lines. Invite them to come to our habit change seminar, our nutrition seminar, right? See if they'll come with you. Or just tell them about one habit that you've changed in your life that has made a meaningful difference for you and those around you that was maybe prompted by CrossFit, right? Or prompted by, you know, nutrition coaching or whatever it is. Just discuss what that change has done for you. Not your PRs, not videos of you lifting, not these short little blips of a finite game that'll, you know, go down your Instagram feed over the years and nobody will ever see again. Instead, think about how you talk about what you're doing. Because if you talk about why you changed and what you changed, you might just have a bigger impact on somebody, right? You might be able to actually make a tangible, meaningful difference in how they make their decisions about health and fitness. And if you tell people and you're honest with them, if they're truly a friend or a family member, be honest. Tell them your habits, your lifestyle, it's, it sucks. It's not good. It's very unhealthy, right? And that's going to lead to problems. It's not a matter of if, but when. And so I would love it if you would take some meaningful action steps for you to fix your bad habits and just have that discussion. And then give some examples about how, you know, CrossFit was great for me because it taught me about how to, you know, warm up and exercise properly and functionally. 
It taught me, you know, that I shouldn't be worried about losing 10 pounds or, you know, stupid aesthetic goals. Instead, I should just be focused on watching what I eat, making sure that I have a regimented exercise plan, and that I'm really consistent with that. And then whatever happens with my body happens. Okay. And that's a really freeing thought for a lot of people. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. It's, um, you know, listen to that Glassman podcast. It's on the Girls Gone Wad podcast, and it's their most recent one with Greg Glassman. If you guys are interested about the, you know, the the future of health and fitness generally, obviously you should be listening to what Glassman puts out. Um, but, you know, it's, it's cool because I think it's thought-provoking, and it might be thought-provoking for you guys in a very different way than it is for me because obviously I'm kind of deep into this fight of trying to, change how we as affiliates, we as a community communicate to people. We just have to fix how we talk about what we do because it's not just exercise. It's not just one rep maxes. It's not just, you know, any of this other crap that gets put out there. You know, it's not the CrossFit games. It's, you know, what'll be more interesting to me, what's more incredible is, you know, if Rich Froning's 70 and has done, you know, competed or whatever, pushed his fitness at a high level for 50 years. And he's able to, uh, you know, live this life of a pillar of health and fitness and be a good dad and be a role model and a coach and somebody who runs seminars and somebody who gives back to charity and just does all these things. Like that's what's impressive. It's the longevity of it. You know, for a while, you can take it to any sport. You can look at anything. It's like the reason that, you know, Serena Williams doesn't get crap off of what she did yesterday is because she's been a champion for 22 Grand Slam titles or something like that, which is like insane. It's the same thing. It's like, you know, Russell Wilson doesn't get that much credit as the greatest of all time because he hasn't done it for 20 years. That's why Peyton Manning, Joe Montana, and Tom Brady get talked about. Cal Ripken is one of the most impressive athletes to me of all time, yet statistically he was extremely mediocre. But think about how crazy it is to play in every game over 20-plus year career. Think about the habits he had to have. Think about how dialed in he had to be. You know, think about a LeBron James. Think about his habits, right? You hear people talk about how his work ethic, his habits, they are freak level. Nobody wants to live like he lives. Nobody wants to do that. But that's why he's so great is everybody else, all these other, you know, rich millionaire athletes, it's so easy for them to just be lazy and take the, you know, quick conveniences and not take that path of struggle, not wake up at 5 a.m. to go practice. You know, maybe I'll sleep until 8 and just go shoot around and rely on my talent like I always have. But that's what separates, right? And so when you guys communicate that, that's what I wish LeBron James, that's what I wish Tom Brady, that's what I wish these guys would communicate about is these are my habits. This is what has led me and allowed me to be the greatest of all time is I wake up and it's regimented and it's every day and it's breakfast, lunch, dinner, mobility, recovery, lifting, practice. It is a a feverish, crazy lifestyle that leads to that. And I'm not saying that as regular people, obviously we shouldn't be like insane to that level because we're not getting paid millions for, you know, our talents and body. But 
what we should be doing then is maximizing what our most important role is. Okay, so our most important role might be being a father. It might be being the CEO of a company. It might be being a great husband or a great son. Any of those things, but you have to understand what your best role is and then how can I maximize that? How can I change my habits to make sure that I'm maximizing that? Okay, and a part of being a great father is being able to be around for the next 30 years, 40 years, you know, have your first dance with your daughter. So be thinking about those, uh, you know, as you guys start communicating with people over the next few weeks, months, as you get into the whole life challenge, you're going to be seeing a lot of successes, right? And it's going to look amazing on the surface. You're going to want to post about, you know, how check it out. You know, I can see my abs and I've lost all this weight and I've lost all this body fat percentage and it's incredible. Maybe talk instead about the habits that you changed that led to that right? As you guys start going into the holidays and you start seeing more friends and family, maybe think about doubling down on your discipline, right? Talking to a coach, which for me leading into, uh, you know, the holiday season is one of my favorite things. You talk to a coach and they kind of give you this out, right? When, you know, oh, you're you're not going to have, you know, my famous pumpkin pie or, you know, my mom's frosted sugar cookies. It's like, well, you know, if I'm beholden and accountable to my nutrition coach, then I have a reason to say no. And that can be a conversation starter for you and the people around you. That can be a purpose or a reason for you to communicate about, I'm working with the coach so I can fix some of my bad habits. And it's going to take some time and it's hard, but he or she holds me accountable. And I need that right now. And it's made a huge difference for me already. And you know, if you ever need that, I would be very supportive of introducing you guys or whatever it might be, right? Having that conversation is a lot different than, you know, telling so-and-so, oh, you have to try CrossFit because it's the best. I love it, right? And it's just like, oh, yeah, you have to do it. We get to like lift heavy weights all the time and I just PR my snatch and the person just like zones out, right? Because that doesn't mean anything to them over the long haul. They don't understand it yet. But they might have some things like some prescription drugs or some heart problems, or they might have just been told something about their health from their doctor that they are afraid of and they haven't maybe told anybody because people don't talk about that stuff openly. And they might be scared and they might want to start changing some habits. And if you discuss the benefits of that, that might make a more tangible difference. So just some food for thought. Listen to that podcast. Send me some emails. Let me know what you guys think about it. Thanks. Have a great weekend.